G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. As Christians, we know the truth of the gospel can transform everything, from the life of a single person to the fate of nations. Well, Our special guest today asks, are we ready to share it? The Reverend Dr. Stephen Gorkroger is the founder of the Clarion Trust International. He's an international convention speaker and Bible expositor. The Clarion Trust focuses on helping God's people across the world to lead, to speak and to act in ways that will bring his hope into every area of life. Stephen Gork Roger is coming to Australia from the UK in November this year with a focus on senior Australians at an event called the Seniors Getaway at Mount Tambourine Convention Centre in the hinterland of the Gold Coast. He'll be speaking on a topic called A Letter to My Younger Self. Stephen Gork Roger, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you. Great to be with you. Stephen, a letter to my younger self. I think you might, if that's okay with you, let us in on your age because I suspect that when you get to some senior years, you start to think about what wisdom you would pass on to your younger self. <laughs> I, I'm in my mid-60s and I'm completely regularly thinking about my children and my five grandchildren as well as those much older than me. <laughs> so the inspiration for a series like this, and I didn't mention in the introduction, but you've written 20 books, and no doubt somewhere down the track this is likely to find its way into a book. It's not there yet, but a letter to my younger self. What's the inspiration for you writing about this? Um, well, there are two things. One, a biblical inspiration, because I've... Uh, taught on the pastoral epistles in Bible colleges or conferences or churches for many years. Uh, And I thought it'd be really good to sort of pull it together in this context, uh, particularly talking to uh, people who are uh, in the last third, say, of their life, depending on on how old they are. And uh, Paul's clearly in the last third of his life. He might be in the last months of his life when he's writing this. So it was particularly appropriate when I was invited to come and speak to seniors Um, in Australia, in both um, uh, Brisbane uh, and the Melbourne uh, area. So I was delighted to be able to to do that. The second thing is that uh, uh, I'm conscious that we live in a massively changing world at incredible pace and that uh, the world is very youth focused and uh, young people are honoured and that's great as they should be. Uh, But we are in danger both politically and economically and in the church of losing the wisdom of the accumulated years of Christian faith. And I just want to make sure that both generations, the freshness, the innovation of the young and the experience and wisdom of the youth is brought together. Because I, I, my experience is that when those two things happen, much stronger, 
more vigorous Christian faith results. And the wisdom that we glean as we grow older over many years, uh, many experiences, uh, many failures mixed in with what we hope are some successes too, this is the getting of wisdom, and so the passing on of wisdom is what you're about. Uh, yes, that's right, really. It's reflecting uh, on the kind of macro issues, what's going on in the world politically, reflecting on um, you know, post-lockdowns and wars in Europe and a range of challenges in, in the global sense, and how the wisdom of years can help you cope with that emotionally and spiritually. You know that post-lockdowns have produced around the world a kind of mental health crisis among the young, particularly uh, among teenagers and people in their 20s. So older people can bring a sense of proportion to that, I think. And then personally, in terms of wisdom, uh, it's a, a matter of saying, look, I've made mistakes or I've, I've done this or I found this worked and, and, and so on. Uh, and human beings haven't really changed. The world has changed. The Apostle Paul didn't use the Internet very much, but he did have incredible experiences. And although the techniques and the technology of the world has changed, people haven't changed. And, uh, and the wisdom of age, uh, as long as it's rightly translated and communicated, is going to help young people enormously. When you say the pastoral epistles, uh, we're talking about First and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, Paul and the way that he wrote to Timothy. If we're exploring that today, what would we understand about that relationship, which is so important for the way we might think about being older and passing on uh, in, in, insights to the younger? Uh, well, there are lots of clues in the pastoral epistles, particularly in the second book of, um, uh, of Timothy. But overall in the pastorals, you, you get the impression that Timothy was invested in by Lois and Eunice, two older ladies who invested in his life. And so you get a generational touch right there at the beginning. And then also you get the impression that this older, much more experienced church planter missionary, Paul, uh, was determined to invest in young Timothy. We don't hear anything about Timothy's father, but uh, Tim, uh, Paul plays a kind of male fatherly role model. Uh, and so though the book is is full of this passing on to Pastor Timothy, who's going to make a huge impact God willing, uh, on the church, if he can become the kind of man Paul wants him uh, to be. Uh, so uh, the whole of that uh, section of scripture is full of wisdom, trying to say, uh, um, I've done this, says Paul, I'm coming to the end of my race. Uh, things are difficult for me, but this is what has happened. And by the way, Timothy, this is the kind of distillation of wisdom of my years. Do this and your ministry will be on very firm foundations. I think listeners might have been inspired by the concept of investing in Timothy. And so for those who are getting older in years now, the thought that there is an investment in a younger generation, uh, my suspicion is that that can be something that can really supercharge the idea of getting your wisdom and passing it on. How do you think about that word investing in a next generation, or it might even be multiple generations? Uh, I think it's absolutely crucial to the health of the church. We know that if we forget the mistakes of history, we are doomed to repeat them. And so we need to remember where we've come from and the errors of the past. Many of us have faced endless 
difficulties in church life, various heresies which arise, personal challenges. And so remembering those and then being invited. And this is the key thing. If we can get young people to see the value of some of the older people, uh, the, the jointness of their listening will mean that people with the years of Christian experience uh, have got a place to uh, put it. And particularly in later, later senior years, many, many seniors are really vigorous and healthy. But as you get uh, maybe into your later 80s or even 90s and a bit more physically frail, sadly, sometimes mentally frail, but when you're physically frail, you can't move as quickly or travel as quickly. Uh, uh, but you can invest in the next generation by praying for them, by meeting with them, by having by having coffee with some youth leaders and so on. I, I've I met with my old college principal uh, over this weekend. He's 95. His brain is as sharp as anything. And his wisdom on the way uh, uh, the church has functioned in the past still remains a great inspiration to me. Of course, there is what some might call a generation gap. Uh, others might even reflect and say there's something like a cult of youth. Had a conversation just recently about that too, and how older people in church life uh, may be suffering something similar to what is being seen in the broader community. And uh, being seen as old is not necessarily being seen as wise. A lot of young people want to do their own thing. Now, from your perspective in the UK, uh, what are things like for you? Is there a respect for those who are growing older, or is there needing? Does there need to be work done on the, bridging that generation gap and? and actually expressing support uh, that might come from a younger generation to uh, to see the older generation as having credible wisdom. Uh, yes, you're right. You've put your finger on a, a problem that's um, all over the Western world. Interestingly enough, in my work in Asia and Africa, uh, there's a deep respect for age, uh, which, uh, which I wish could be transplanted into a Western context. So I think we have some work to do to help young people uh, not to fall into the same traps that their fathers and grandfathers uh, fell into. There is an important thing, too, to make sure that preachers from pulpits uh, make sure that as they embrace uh, contemporary ideas around, particularly around the Internet and social media, uh, they make sure that they communicate that these things are vehicles for communicating truth their embracing is not the end of the story. We're not rejecting the past. And I think that's absolutely critical. And, and the church has to understand that tradition is a really good thing. And it's traditionalism, which is a really bad thing, locking ourselves into the past with nostalgia. And so tradition is the, the living faith of the dead and traditionalism is the dead faith of the living and that distinction i think has to be taught and preached and understood and the generation not just one generation gap they say now every every five years or so there's another gap in the cultural norms and so there's lots of generation gaps to overcome so when you're speaking to a convention and uh, you're a well-known well-experienced convention speaker and I take it these days the majority of people who are sitting in front of you have lots of grey hair or no hair at all. So when you're talking to them about that tradition, about not being dead today, but understanding the life for today, is this a part of what you bring in a message that 
in some sense, encourages those who are older to be aware, socially aware, even technologically aware of what's happening today so that they're not letting that gap between the young and the old continue to grow. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I would emphasise two things often. One is that um, you don't have to be brilliant at uh, technology, Instagram, social media, all that stuff. You, you just have to be aware that it exists. And part of your partnership with the younger generation is getting them to help you do it because they that we are immigrants the world and they are natives. And so we might as well find use their, their value. But the other thing I say to older people is this, that, that our faith must, mustn't be in the structures. Our faith must be in the Jesus, who is the Lord of the structures, because Jesus is the one who's the same yesterday, today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8, and, you know, all that teaching. Uh, he's the one who doesn't change. Uh, whereas sometimes we hope that the church structure won't change, the music won't change, the 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 ideas, the buildings won't change. Whereas actually all that can change as long as the focus remains on scripture and on the person of Jesus Christ. And we've got to help older people put their trust in the right thing, because over years you get comfortable with certain structures uh, and we've got to help people really feel uh, get back to a fresh relationship with Jesus. Uh, one thing to reflect on the pastoral epistles from the scriptures. Um, Stephen, is there a personal side here? Have you taken time to write a letter to your younger self uh, to recognise those strengths and weaknesses and to be able to apply the wisdom of the past to the present day? How have you reflected on that personally? Yes, in, in in my early, it's early days for preparing for this particular, as you might imagine, because it's not until November. Uh, but I've already begun the process of trying to reflect through. In fact, I was having this discussion um, uh, with my wife uh, recently uh, about what uh, we would have done differently from the early years of our marriage, for example, in terms of uh, how we, would we raise the children in a different way or would we uh, have... Uh, handle church life in a different way so I've begun the conversations and also because I want to do it not just on my own but with others who remember those times because we are very good at deluding ourselves about the past and often look at it with rose-coloured spectacles so I want to make sure I'm honest about the analysis of the past as well as the analysis of the the present so I am uh, have already been that piece of work personally. Are we all competing with the latest social media posts or even indeed uh, media articles that are appearing from people who have uh, become instant experts on all sorts of things and somehow rather drowning out the voice of those who are growing older but have been there and experienced these things firsthand? Is there a sense in which you've got to encourage older people that their wisdom is not old and used and past its it's uh, used by date, but actually that that wisdom actually has something more than the modern articles and the social media posts. Is there something there to encourage? Oh, we, live, we live in a world of instant opinion. And so uh, pace and speed of response is everything in the social media world because the story will have disappeared from view within a day or two. Uh, and uh, it, the, rap, the news cycle is just unbelievably rapid and i think what we've got to help people see is that you know uh, using mr google to find all your information uh, 
is uh, helpful at one level, but there's a big difference between information and wisdom. And I do think uh, I spend quite a bit of time on the interface between medicine and uh, Christian faith. And doctors say to me all the time, their patients are saying, oh, doctor, I've got this. And I Googled it last night. And by the way, this is what it is. And doctors are always saying to me, There's what, it, it needs wisdom to is not simply information. And to diagnose the society's needs and its terrible fall into sinfulness and its uh, abandonment of God's laws and values doesn't need lots more information alone. It needs wisdom. And I think that's what the Christians of many years standing bring that antidote to a superficial, speedy response that's often wrong. Well, Stephen Gork-Roger is our guest. He's coming to Australia from the UK in November this year. He's going to be keynote speaker at the Mount Tambourine Conference Centre's MTCC Seniors Getaway between the 9th and the 12th of November and then travelling to Victoria to be the keynote speaker at the Belgrave Heights Convention Centre, their 50-plus getaway, 17th through the 19th of November. We're going to continue our conversation very shortly, and we're talking about a letter to my younger self, something for those who are getting on in a few years, become seniors in your community, and, and some special getaways that are planned for November. We're back with more in just a short while. There is something special that's coming up at the end of this year. A special guest speaker who's coming to Australia to be a keynote speaker at a couple of significant gatherings for seniors. He's coming to Australia from the UK in November for the Seniors Getaway at Mount Tambourine Conference Centre in the hinterland of the Gold Coast. And the topic is a letter to my younger self. And so in some sense, we're talking about some of the things that you might glean from the pastoral epistles. The Apostle Paul, who wrote to Timothy, his protege. We're talking through some challenges here. Stephen Gork-Roger is our special guest. Stephen, let me ask you about an impression that older generations perhaps have of a younger generation that's going through some pretty tough times, the mental health challenges, uh, the issues that are being faced from some of the distancing from education and the challenges to well-being. What are your impressions about young people and the need for an older insight? Uh, my my impression is that there's a huge role for uh, mature Christians. I mean, uh, uh, seniors is a very wide term. I mean, uh, you can you can draw your uh, uh, your pension from your company from 55 here in the UK. Uh, uh, someone once referred to a friend of mine as uh, getting on in years. He was 49. So I really think it depends on your perspective. Anybody with life experience, let's say over the age of 50, uh, has got uh, things uh, to bring. There's no question in our world that the lockdown protocols, which many nations use to address the coronavirus pandemic, uh, have left horrific challenges in society, in health, in economics, in education particularly. And young people have borne the brunt of that. It was one of the great ironies of the COVID pandemic that uh, young people were uh, almost not at all vulnerable to the virus. Uh, and yet the protocols we used to protect the people who were, the elderly and the already ill, 
uh, affected them more dramatically even. And so they were less vulnerable and yet dramatically badly affected with their education disrupted and uh, and their mental health. They were confused about what was happening. And that's led to an explosion of youth mental health issues. And some of them need to be dealt with psychiatrically, with a, a therapeutic regime, which is serious uh, and careful. Others need simply the friendship of an older person to help them navigate the waters. Someone who's been through it, who's seen it, who's understood it, who's who's learned that life comes and goes and that there are ups and downs and provides a sense of proportion for young people who, who don't uh, who don't have it. Every generation of young people always thinks they're the first generation to experience it. They're the generation that discovers sex, they're discovered generation that discovered relationships and older people can say okay <laughs> but in our day also these issues emerge and these are the challenges we face so this is a crucial time for the church of jesus the mature members to step up and be coaching mentoring discipling loving caring befriending whatever term you use to for churches to make uh, good policies and good structures for older people to engage young people. They're, they're desperate in a broken family world to have good parental and grandparental role models. Let's provide them in the church. No doubt uh, those mentors for a younger generation are going to be absolutely essential. I can't help but think, though, even as you're describing that, that for some who are growing older, and let's not put everybody in the same boat because... Some do want to stay up with uh, current fashions or styles and they do want to be relevant to their uh, their own children and grandchildren and uh, even, let's just say, great-grandchildren. But some will have some form of self-imposed exile from a younger generation because they're so set in their ways, uh, they're refusing to keep up with things that are modern. Any thoughts here for those who are getting a little older to be able to stay relevant? Uh, yes, I think that the key thing, particularly as, as you're becoming a little more physically or mentally frail uh, and getting what one might say uh, very old as opposed to simply ageing, um, is that keeping up with current trends is not really necessary. You're, you're not going to do it anyway very well. And yes, you'll become set in your ways. I think the key thing is if you if you are still a loving and listening person, young people have got lots of people to talk to about the latest uh, TikTok video or Instagram post. They've got lots of people to talk to about that. Their friends at school and so on. But what they really need is someone to listen carefully to them and to love them despite themselves. Uh, and I think older people, a person sitting in a care home, physically disabled perhaps, is perfectly capable to listening to a young person's travails. They don't have to understand the context and the, the, uh, the challenges of the uh, internet era necessarily, uh, but they do have to stay relevant in terms of loving and caring for people. So I would say to people of whatever age, if you stay close to Jesus in your faith and allow that to shine through, uh, a loving grandparent or grandparentingly role to a young teenager uh, will always be acceptable. And you don't need to be cutting edge cool in your conversation, just loving and caring. <sighs> And when we talk Paul and Timothy, 
and the biblical thought of disciples making disciples. Sometimes we think of a discipler as someone who's a Bible teacher. You're broadening that, and Stephen, you're saying that as a mentor, as someone who wants to draw us alongside a younger person, uh, you're involved in that discipleship process too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that um, the uh, preacher, pastor, teacher role publicly to larger groups is crucial in the discipleship process, of course, teaching biblical principles and so on. Uh, but I think every disciple of Jesus is also a potential discipler of others. And, and we were called to live in that way. Uh, uh, Paul specifically instructs Timothy, what I've given to you, I'm now asking you to invest this in others. Uh, and there's this sort of chain, Paul, Timothy, others, and so on. And I think that's true for every Christian. How There's no success in ministry without succession. How are we thinking about the next bit? Who are we investing in? Uh, going uh, going forward so i think we shouldn't we should deprofessionalize the whole idea of discipleship it's not just the pastor's job not just the vicar's job not just the priest's job not just the whatever our leaders call uh, it's the job of all those who call ourselves christians to be those people who build friendships and build a relationship which becomes a bridge over which jesus can walk into people's lives and uh, we're all called to that. In the old days when I was a young Christian, uh, 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 listening to the likes of Billy Graham and others, he was always saying, you are saved to serve. Uh, there's something, it, only the Dead Sea has water coming in with no outlet. All faith should be flowing through us and out to others in different ways. And this idea of modelling discipleship for the next generation, uh, that's got its own flow-on effects too because we all have to model discipleship to a new generation so that it can be modelled uh, to the next generation and way, way beyond. So this is an imperative. We, this is not really something you just choose to do. This is something you really have to do for your own family and for your own community. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Every generation needs to be rediscovering the love of Christ uh, in fresh ways. I, I worked for a while as the chairman of uh, the Argentinian evangelist Luis Palau's European board, and he would regularly say, God has no grandchildren. And uh, <clears throat> the point he was making was each generation needs to make a decision to follow Christ. Each generation needs to commit to the Bible. Each generation needs to commit to the task of global mission. And uh, that's why each generation should have wisdom passed on from the next to encourage them, to spur them on, as the Bible says, to love good works. And if we are not standing on the side, we might be, you know, fully active years ago. Now we feel a bit sidelined as an older person. Uh, well, depending on quite how age, many seniors are very active, but but at certain age, you, you feel sidelined, but you're in the crowd cheering them on, these younger people, uh, cheering them on to love and good works, cheering them on to biblical orthodoxy, to be fully in love with Jesus and following him. And with the pace of change being so fast, Stephen, uh, <laughs> is it as easy as just keeping across some of the issues that you know are affecting young people? No. Um, well, yes, it's a good thing if you can stay across those issues, although it's very difficult as you uh, as you get older. I mean, I mean, I spend my life uh, examining culture, both for young people and for others. 
And the pace of change so rapid, it's impossible to keep in touch with the latest song, the latest fashion, the latest craze and so on. It's very, very difficult indeed. Now, so I would say you're not likely to be able to do that. Uh, but you can continue to be a loving, caring person. You know, trends come and go and there'll be a new trend in a year's time. By the time I come to Australia in November, there there will be a whole set of new trends and crazes and so on. And I might not be very aware of those, uh, but I will be aware that some things don't change. Love, family, uh, human flourishing, kindness, uh, lots of the biblical values simply stand the test of thousands of years uh, and if we are willing to try and find a way to share those in whatever the trend context is uh, we're going to be enormously valuable to the next generation and the generation after that when you reflect on paul's letter to timothy or those letters those pastoral epistles what is it that's outstanding that drives this thought of the letter to your younger self in regards to these sorts of things have you identified key concepts that you'll be you'll be coming up with and uh, unpacking when you get to australia Yes, I, I have. And I, they're not complete yet. Obviously, they uh, they will be as I uh, have more time for prayerful preparation in the lead up to November. Uh, but they are emerging uh, very well. I mean, it's clear that Paul uh, is at the end of his life or very close to it. He feels he is. Uh, and it's clear that Timothy is embarking on his ministry. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the, the lessons of, I'll tell you what strikes you when you read the pastorals, particularly to Timothy. And when he says, you know, towards the end, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, things are going to be ending and so on. And you're amazed when you look back at how incredibly passionate and clear thinking Paul is. Um, it's not like he's just stumbling to the finishing line. I mean, he's charging to the finishing line, bursting through the tape uh, into God's eternal presence. And one of the key things I'll be thinking about is that's the way to end, bursting through the tape at the end. Don't just give up as if you're not worth anything or you've got no contribution to make. Yes, you do, whoever you are. And that passion of Paul, I want to come through and be shared by others. And those stories that you'll tell to a younger generation around not only your successes, but no doubt some level of humility in admitting uh, your failures and the lessons that you learn through those failures, uh, the sorts of regrets you might have held uh, from your younger years or uh, thinking on the aspirations you either had or you didn't have, a disappointment, all of those things, these are things you can't really just read in an article, but you can certainly glean those in a conversation, can't you? So it's this personal impact that you have when you are actually involved in a, a mentoring for young people any thoughts around that yes I, I think that is true and so I think of mentoring from an older generation to a younger generation uh, only partly about communicating biblical principles obviously that's important uh, but also <clears throat> the kind of reminiscing in which an older person just speaks very openly and transparently about the way their life worked. And and of course, and failure is just as good a teaching tool as success. And so we can be honest about what worked and what didn't work. And sometimes our failures are more helpful in correcting young people's behavior than our successes. Because 
when we talk about our successes, it sounds like we're boasting sometimes about how we did it and so on. When we talk about things that didn't quite work, um, we are we are confessing that we're not talking to a young person in a patronising, paternalistic way, saying that we got it all right and our generation's great and your generation's all terrible, uh, which is very unhelpful and not true. And so, yes, we need to be sharing personal reminiscences and stories. There's a there's a very powerful message behind a story. Uh, Stephen, is is it therapeutic to write a letter to your younger self? Is actually writing an actual letter uh, even a step through the door of getting a start with your younger generations that you'd like to communicate with? Uh, is it therapeutic? Yes, I think, yeah. Yes, I think it can be. It therapeutic to the person. Sometimes, uh, indeed, when I was talking uh, to my um, uh, old college principal over the weekend, 95 years uh, old, uh, and he shared some things about his life and his current reading and so on, I, I found it therapeutic in two ways. It was therapeutic for him to reminisce about the past. He doesn't have that many people to share the details of that with. We have shared history. And it was therapeutic for me to hear uh, uh, this man reflect on life experiences that I, too, am going through now in my in the full throttle of ministry that I'm involved in. So to actually think about the past and the strengths and weaknesses and joys and errors um, is a very good thing emotionally for an older person. It, it provides context for our lives, but it's therapeutic as well for the person you're talking to because they realize uh, that they didn't invent life or as the bible says there's nothing new under the sun um, and so it's good for them and actually writing it down can be valuable as we get older sometimes our memory is not as good as it was and so if you write stuff down you're more likely to be able to draw on it uh, and i have encouraged a number of older people to write an informal memoir uh, and they found that uh, uh, quite helpful. And they've given it their children and they found it quite helpful. Amazing the number of children who find th things about their parents they never knew when someone starts to write their life story down. Uh, certainly could become a part of the legacy that you pass on to generations, something that's written. Hey, let me throw you into the deep end here, Stephen, uh, and speculate uh, whether for younger people, is there value in writing a letter to your future self? Uh, what are your thoughts here? If you're a younger generation, perhaps even you've had the older generation interacting here, but um, what would a younger person write about their future self in, in relation to a relationship, say, with, say, with you? Well, I, I would certainly encourage that to happen, um, particularly as they emerge perhaps their first job or pre-marriage or, or something. And, and I would encourage them to write it with a kind of five to 10 year overview because any longer than that, and the world's changing so rapidly, it's very difficult to predict, but five to 10 years. And then to review it after five to 10 years and, and to see um, whether they were overly ambitious or not ambitious enough or whether they uh, really understood the challenges that they were facing. Because I think uh, uh, analysis, a life unexamined, is, is a life not well lived. And so anything which helps us examine our lives 
on a periodic, but now not every day or every week or even every year, because that becomes uh, neurotic and internally focused. But over time, to look back on the kind of things you've done. So I would definitely invite, ask a younger person to write out their hopes, dreams and aspirations for the future, uh, at least relatively short-term future. And Stephen, uh, the founder of Clarion Trust International, uh, what's the focus of the Clarion Trust? Uh, is it around some of these issues that we're talking about today? Uh, uh, partially, yes, it is. Uh, it's really, it's focus is on leadership, uh, and uh, really encouraging leaders to think about the way the Bible applies to all the issues of the day, of course, personal as well, uh, but the big major global issues of the day and what the Bible's got to say about issues around uh, warfare or uh, economic models like austerity and uh, political life and challenging, speaking prophetically, truth to power and so on. So it's about equipping leaders, sometimes pastors and, and vicars and others, uh, but often uh, more senior leaders, so regional leaders, bishops, archbishops and so on, uh, and, and whole countries and, and engaging government. I'm doing a piece of work at the moment um, uh, with the representatives of the Supreme Court in East Africa, looking at how the church can play its part in getting children off the streets and into foster and adoptive care. So I just think Christians ought to be engaged on the cutting edge of society. Uh, medical ethics, business ethics, government life and so on. So, so Clarion is constantly trying to say to people, the Bible's the word of God. Of course, it's about being born again. Of course, it's about personal spirituality, the fruit of the Holy Spirit and so on and so on. Living that out, of course, it's all that. But it, it's also this book that's for the health of society. It, that We want society to flourish, cities, towns, villages to flourish with good systems and the bible's got wise counsel about all those uh, bigger activities so that clarion is driven by the desire to make the bible alive and relevant uh, in the larger uh, societal and community life well Stephen, you're coming to australia no doubt there'll be some listening today who'll want to reserve their place uh, the suspicion might be that things might sell out quickly <laughs> Uh, for a couple of those conventions that you're going to be guest speaker at and uh, keynote speaker at the Mount Tambourine Conference Centre's Seniors Getaway, 9th to the 12th of November, then travelling on to Victoria to be the keynote speaker at the Belgrave Heights Convention's 50-plus getaway, 17th through the 19th of November. And for listeners... Uh, Stephen Gork-Roger, he's a former president of the Baptist Union of Great Britain during the 1990s, a prolific author having written more than 20 books. His first book, It Makes Sense, described as an accessible, humorous and compelling intro to Christian faith, has been translated into several different languages and has sold more than 100,000 copies. Uh, Stephen is the founder of the Clarion Trust. Let me give the Clarion Trust website too clariontrust.org.uk that's clariontrust.org.uk and uh, Stephen great getting your insights thank you so much for sharing those with us on 2020 thank you thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media to find out more about us go to vision.org.au